Alright, buddy, minus. What's bloody. I'm changing my sitting stance each day. Get comfortable, mate. I'm oh, bloody comfy. Love the setup. Ah, what have we got? What's happening today? Latin. Latin, up the resource. That's it. We've got four good stories. Latin resources up in the, uh, the resource estimate. Boss, they are rattling the tin and making an acquisition, so we'll make a quick comment on them. Need a big tin for how much they're putting in it. Yeah, and Blackstone Minerals, they have uh, announced that they've got an option to buy a Canadian nickel asset, which we'll uh, get into, and then Trav, you've gone... Trav's got a rant. He's gone deep <laughs> on the the Vanadium merger. It's the deal of the year, and you know, I just want to go into... I know how much you love Vanadium. I know how much you just care about the most logical merger. <laughs> Near and dear to all our hearts. We might um we might lose potential sponsorships out of this uh, rant. Nah, maybe. Nah, nah. <laughs> nah. It's uh it's in the weeds. It's going really in the weeds. There's a lot there. There's a bit of shareholder activism. There's um some technicalities with independent expert reports that you know. I just want to want to just want to hash out with the audience. Oh, look forward to it. Right? Have we got the have we got the Instagram shit trade winner? We do. We will reveal who's won tomorrow. Tomorrow. We'll, yeah. I think the tickets are getting sent out to the winner today. Savi. That's right. So they'll have. It's like going on an awards night and having like being told you're going to win already, <laughs> which we didn't. <laughs> I'm not familiar <laughs> with that feeling. <laughs> There's a bloody hint. Rightio, boys, boys, boys. Um. You know, all this underground mining training I've been giving you is in exchange for a lot of financial modelling and training coming back at me. Appreciate we're, it. We're all learning from each other, mate. Appreciate it, by the way. Mm. All these machines I've been showing you on the KCA website, mm. have you got a favourite? <laughs> what really strikes your attention of what's a bloody good underground machine? Mate, you can't they, 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 we established last week they don't have jumbos and boggers, JD, <laughs> like you were advertising. You didn't say, ca- actually, you didn't actually say got KCA, some, though. My favourite is the jumbo. They, they got, um, they've been getting inquiries for boggers and jumbos because you were plugging them. Well, but, they, but they're looking for boggers. I had the uh, the privilege of meeting Adam and Brenton last week at our sponsor's what drinks. What GCs. Absolutely. And what he told me was they'll get the call. They'll get the equipment. So whatever you want, just give them a call what and a they'll slogan. source it. What a bloody slogan. We're, mate, and all the – they've got a lot of machines that can get toweled up easily. So just an easy just swap in and out. It's pretty much – KCA you would consider the Bunnings for underground mining machinery. Just rock up on a Saturday. Oh, mate, nothing <laughs> nothing like a bloody uh, snag sizzle and a truck or an IT. Bloody easy, easy as that. KCA, just sorting out the underground mining environment. IT, IT's trucks, bloody water truck, the grader. Flatbed. Uh, flatbed for surface, flatbed for the underground, the normal one. Bloody charge rigs if you accidentally blow one up, which mm. could possibly happen. KCA, I'll just send one up. Like, <laughs> it's like it never really happened. So. If, if you if you get to the situation where you, you need something like that and you pick up the phone and you don't call KCA – well, if you're picking up, yeah, like, yeah, but like the people that pick up the phone and they call someone else other than KCA, they suck. To be honest, I don't <laughs> even know if there's anyone else to call. Yeah, yeah, like, not even Ghostbusters. <laughs> like it's um, mate, it's it's just the the absolute household name. Who are you gonna call? Off the off the top of my head, like I wouldn't know who to call. I actually, I think they've they're that good. They've just the competition's just gone missing. So that's you wouldn't a, have to think about it. Nah, nah, it's just a it's like. Red Bull and Band-Aid, <laughs> just a generic name. No one has V. Nah. No, I don't even know. Oh, there's a last plus, but like like KCA have just become that machinery hire Band-Aid because mm-hmm. they fix your problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
popped up out of nowhere and just did it. Un- un- unbelievable. And they can bloody send people. Um, they farm them. They farm the people? Yeah, genetically create underground miners that, suitable for the environment. That explains the competitive advantage. That's, yeah. So they've sort of taken um, labour hire and recruitment to a new level by creating their own fit for purpose. So, yeah, first time I've seen it in the industry. Wow. Cool case, I've been, yeah. ar- I've been around too. So back in my day, we didn't have that. Casey <laughs> cool. are the Bunnings, the competition are like the – what was the, the the one that popped up that like just oh, closed yeah, up? Yeah. Blue uh, mast, masters. Masters. If masters competition yeah. and Masters. Yeah. KCA, Bunnings, human genetic manipulation, bloody whatever. <laughs> they do everything. Right. Cheers, KCA. Love your bloody work. Give them a, give them a buzz. <laughs> Call KCA. Simple as that. Right, eh? Now, so we've got some bad news for the money miners. <laughs> We're very sorry to tell you, but the Jeremy Bond tell-all has been postponed until 2024. We had him in the calendar. Bondy is obviously going to some event, uh, some probably high-profile event that they'd normally charge 50 grand for a speaker, but Bondy does it for free. He's that sort of guy. Um, he, he, well, he gives back. He's given back to the financial community, like what they do mm. for us. So he unfortunately had to push us aside for some philanthropic work. Like he's pretty much at the same level as Tatarang with hearts and minds. You know, yeah, with his, what he does yeah. for charity and yeah. everything. So um, it's pretty oh, devastated. So yeah. why don't, should we just do an episode where we just talk about Bondi for the whole thing? Did you, did you I see reckon what my, I could do that. <laughs> did, did you see what my idea was to, to – um, Everyone to, send us in their best Bondi story that's related to the finance industry. He was a big obviously. fan of that idea, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we'll read shout, all that. Shout out to um, any friends of Bondi if you want to feature in the Bondi tell-all episode that Bondi might not be in. Um, <laughs> send in your um, send in your Bondi stories. Oh. But, um, yeah, while, while Bondi's not uh, – being at the level of Bill Gates and charitable donations and uh, he actually invests in natural resources as well. We better not discount that, AJD. Terra Capital. But then when he, because he does wondering. so much for the world and, like, gives so much back, like, I think people probably forget how much of a gun trader he is in the fund, in funds management. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just a – it's a bit of a curse that old Bondi has, isn't it? Yeah. Do you reckon Bondi would bid up GC007 in the raffle tomorrow? Or Bondi. the surname, yeah, you know. <laughs> Never thought of that. He's a logical acquirer of it. Yeah, he is, isn't he? Maybe we should get a silent bid from him. Well, you think of how much he gives away to charity. We are. How much do charity. you reckon he'd give us away? Give us for GC Seven. <laughs> Talk about putting the coin to good use. <laughs> I might spend it all that night, Bondi. Just letting you know. But uh, Bondi, if you want to dial in for GC Seven, give us a buzz. And uh, they, uh, and we have been talking about Terra Capital. You mightn't know it. But um, yeah, <laughs> experts in the uh, natural resource world, experts in the natural resource world, and absolute uh, philanthropists, so <laughs> legends. Cheers for support. Let's get into it, JD. On that note, speaking <laughs> of big things around the world, Latin Resources update to their mineral resource estimate. They've got the Colina deposit in Brazil. Yes, so they've got the Salinas Lithium project and the oh, yeah, the, the flagship. Deposit is the the cleanest uh, the cleaner one 
within that project. So hard one to get the right way around every time. Always fuck. Mate, up. you got there close enough. Yeah, yeah. So they are uh, they kept it half a billion bucks. They're no they're no small company anymore. Although if you if you look at the share price, they've had a tough you know past three or so months, like the the majority of the lithium stocks. Out there, the uh, the market is liking the resource upgrade today. Though last time I looked, they were up about fifteen percent, sort of uh, stemming the the flow in which uh, lithium stocks have been going. The Jesus, in particular, in the last week, they've been they've been hurting quite a bit. Mm. God, what's Lion Lion Town's back into the dollar twenties? Well, wow. that gives you an indication where everything's at. Yeah, sort of reflective of hydroxide, carbonate and spodumene prices, the way they've, they've all been pulling back quite quickly. But so that, that spodumene price seems to be sitting at around that 1400 still. It hasn't moved all week, but it must be the actual hydroxide prices and everything this week, has it? Yeah, and these are obviously not the most liquid, you know, most uh, that were the best quoted prices that, that we're sort yeah. of seeing. They're kind of irregular and patchy how this sort of trading data comes through. Is that is that because it's got to wait for a contract to be executed or something before they get the updated price and they're not as frequent? Is that why? Yeah, and I'd imagine these um, these groups that put out the, the data for lithium prices might not have access to, you know, the deals that every bit of offtake is, is struck on, you know. There yeah. might be data that the... The partners, you know, the the miner and the uh, plant that it goes to keep internal. So it's mm. something uh, that's a it's an issue in the the lithium world, just like it was in iron ore, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And as the market grew, it got more and more transparent. So the announcement today, guys, like I said, they've upgraded the Salinas Lithium Project resource. So fifty six percent increase is the the headline number that they flash up. It now sits at. 70 million tonnes at 1.27% lithium. So 58% of that resource sits within the measured and indicated category. And like you said, Maddie, the, the Kalina deposit, the sort of flagship deposit there, the resource on that jumped 41%. So that now sits at 64 million tonnes at 1.3%. So it's not a bad, not a bad grade considering what we're seeing come through these days. 1.3s are. Yeah, it's not bad Pretty at all. good. Everything's uh, heading back, drifting back toward ones. Yeah, and obviously we should mention this is a hard rock project. People often think South America, Brian, but this is in Brazil, so it's not it's on, like on, Sigma, on the It's like Sigma version two in a way. Yeah, it's not too far from, from Sigma. So mm. they, there was a number that stood out in the announcement today. They are going to put 16 drill rigs on the ground from January. So I had to read that a couple of times to make sure I was reading it right. It's <laughs> an enormous a number of drill rigs. Jeez, they, um, it's going to be like Swiss cheese. Yeah. <laughs> 2.0. 2.0. So uh, people that follow the company, they would have seen a few months back now that they came out with the PEA, the Preliminary Economic Assessment. And in the announcement today, they flagged that the DFS is targeted for mid-2024. So they raised $35 million bucks in October of this year, and that left them with 65 all up. So in an environment where lithium stocks are getting beaten up quite a bit, they're, they're well-placed in terms of cash in the bank. And, you know, with how many drill rigs they've got at, on the site there, I'm sure we're going to be chatting about them quite a bit in the in the months to come. Now, what do you think about the on the M&A front, JD, for, for Latin specifically, because Sigma effectively put themselves up for sale? They did in a so, quite a bizarre way. So, I mean... Think they also be... put a timeline on that at Sigma and they wanted that to be done by the end of the year and Stupid we're in the ties. Yeah, we're <laughs> in the beginning of December now, so that is a tight tight timeline. Mm, Cuz so. it's like you'd you'd think 
would Sigma, would there be a logical merger or something between them? But I suppose someone mopping both of them up would be pretty difficult being the two separate companies. It's just like, right, what is the actual pipeline for this to start breaking rocks? Yeah, two, two different companies at, you know, quite differing stages. Sigma is mining now mm. and, um, you know, we're, we're talking about a company that's still targeting to get a DFS out in over half a year's time. 16 rigs will help you get there faster. It sure mm. will, but... Um, in terms of, you know, permitting and all that sort of stuff, it's it's quite hard to speed all that up. So we'd see what the actual synergies, you know, Brazil is a massive country. I know the projects are relatively close together, but whether there's actual any synergistic benefit, uh, a uh, an acquirer would have to study up. Sensational, right. Talk about boss with the bosses of mining news. <laughs> Trav and JD. <laughs> boss Let's, G, talk about shaking the shit out of a tin. 200 bucks. Yeah, for a, for a company that didn't really need the cash. So we saw this come Best up, time to raise. Best time to the raise. you don't need it. Absolutely, Maddie. So 200 bucks, they're about a $1.5 billion company as of yesterday. So up 105% roughly year to date. They're the best performing uranium stock over- that- and that's pretty impressive, consider, even though the uranium price has gone up so much, but they're on that part of the Lasson curve going into production and, and everything. So, yeah, Absolutely. to perform in that stage that well is pretty impressive. Are they the best even compared to like the micro caps or is that like a certain lower bound threshold there? JD wouldn't have looked at the micro caps. <laughs> <laughs> that was pick of the bunch out of, you know, 20-odd okay. uh, uranium yeah. stocks out there. So okay. they've they've performed... Very, very strongly, like you say, Maddie, in a particularly tough time at their the restart of Honeymoon, their project. So it's interesting when you look at their performance, just how strong it's been. You get some brokers that have even upgraded their um, or they've increased their price targets while simultaneously downgrading the stock, maybe from a, a buy to a hold or a hold to a sell, just because of how far that that stock price has run. Just gives you a real indication, and it's through no real fault of the the company. So. Yeah, it hasn't been reported by the company how much they're raising or anything like that. We're going off reports that we'd seen in Straight Talk and uh, other news providers, but looks like they're raising $200 million and they did say in their trading halt announcement that they are making a material acquisition, which is, you know, I mean, I don't think we have spoken about a company making a material acquisition in the the month roughly in which they are going from construction into ramp up. So Yeah, and haven't seen anything else in trading halt, so it's kind of a bit curious to see what they're buying. It's a big dollar number they're raising, you sort of see that and you think, are they being opportunistic? Because they, they kind of internally might think that they themselves are actually overvalued. So they're making um, use of their overvalued script at an opportune time and becoming bulletproof in the process. But looks like they've got a use of funds that's tied to an acquisition of some sort, which we just don't know what it is yet. Any any thoughts on what it could possibly be? I have none. I looked through what else was in a trading halt. There was one other lithium Ah, one other uranium company in a trading halt, but that just didn't stack up well yeah. at all. So what was it? ELA. I mean, they were raising money themselves. That's why they're yeah. yeah, they're raising money today. Yeah. yeah. So um, in terms of how the company's shaped up in in a financial sense at the moment, they don't have any debt. Again, quite unusual for a company in the, the phase in which they're at. So yeah, with 63 million bucks cash prior to the raising, we'll see how they go about allocating that. I'm sure we'll be speaking about it tomorrow when they announce the the acquisition, there was one other comment I wanted to make on Boss Energy and that they came out recently and said they're going to be included in the ASX 200. And Maddie, I know you're a big fan of the, the flow of funds and <laughs> passive flows. It's all flows. about the flow of money, Loggy, you know, when it starts <laughs> flowing from the US to Oz, it's just flow of money. That's it. So I should run morning meetings. 
<laughs> Jokes aside, being included in the ASX is a serious tailwind. You get a lot of passive money, you know, all these ETFs that have to have to buy up. I think we spoke about this. Gets with, a bit of a kick usually, doesn't it? Yeah, I think we spoke about it with Guy Keller previously about these uranium companies trying to achieve scale. We've spoken about it with previous uranium companies merging to get that scale so that when people look to allocate to uranium, they are the company that they pick. So another good tailwind for the company, and I'm sure we'll be speaking about the acquisition in no time at all. Do you think it could be something that is not a uranium mine? Like a, some uh, uh, some down, a downstream sort of or some ser- a uranium service provider or, God, it could be another commodity, but it's are we set on it being a, a uranium mine? Oh, I have no insight. And yeah, keep in mind, boss is that it's that in situ leaching yeah. dynamic as well. So, um, my bet would be a project analogous to theirs. I just don't know what those projects are. I don't have a good read. Mm. Oh, we'll wait and see. We will <laughs> love this shit. So good, right? Blackstone. We uh, yesterday they come out with the option to buy a nickel asset. Talk about a good. Counter cyclical time to buy a nickel asset because nickel is probably, I would have to say, it would be the most out of flavor commodity right now or one of them. Yeah, pick of the bunch out of a, a really, you know, beaten up few commodities. I think nickel. Sorry, is a nickel, good... nickel sulfide is the most out of flavor at the moment with this all this Indonesian supply coming on. You're dead right. And that's what they've got an option to buy a nickel sulfide project. So, Blackstone are uh, in the background working on a, a DFS for a downstream facility and a mine that they have in Vietnam. Yeah, they, they released a they released a scoping study sort of well, I think it was a few years ago, and then mm. they were up near seventy cents, and then the capex number that come out just sent them back down to where they are today, and they've never recovered really. Yeah, so, so the I mean the the project they are looking to potentially acquire is the Waboden Nickel Project in Canada. So it sort of indicates that there could be a real shift in strategy going on at the company. Getting access to the the feedstock, if they do decide to buy this, would reduce the reliance on third parties for the refinery that they are looking to develop in Vietnam. So that mm. sort of explains the the strategy behind what they're doing here. There was a, pre- previously they were going to need to source additional feed from Anywhere it could have been bloody BHP in Australia, lot like to to fill that plant. Yeah, so. exactly. They have stakes in a number of smaller nickel companies, but none of them were you know close to production. So exactly right, they'd have be having to source third third party feedstock from somewhere. So let's get into what the project they've got the option to buy is. It's the Waboden Nickel Sulfide Project in Manitoba, which is the central state in Canada. So it's got a resource of two hundred thirty million tons at 0.56% nickel. That sort of six across five different deposits there. So Scotty Williamson, the uh, the managing director, really underscored that, you know, it's got this big resource already, but they really want to drill it out further. Bucko, which is the main deposit, was mined for three years between 2009 and 2012, but nothing much has happened at the, uh, at the site since 2012. In terms of infrastructure, they've got a concentrator with a capacity for 364,000 tonnes, Per annum and a, a new pace plant that was built by 2012 and never commissioned. So a bit of infrastructure, you know, they've got a few other bits and pieces, communication circuit, all of that camp and stuff that, you know, are pretty unused, but they have been sitting there for over a decade now. It, show, it shows it's another example of these North American assets that have, 
they've got existing infrastructure, but it's on such a small scale. I think they they were talking in the announcement they were going to lift that up to about a million ton per annum. Um, Green Green Bay was another Green Bay Copper project that or or what is it? Firefly got was another example, like yeah. existing infrastructure, but very very small. Exactly the the commutation circuit, the crushing circuit there had capacity for a million ton per annum, but obviously the the concentrator, like we said, a bit over three hundred and sixty. So. There was something else I noticed in the announcement, guys, and that was the use of the term green nickel with a little trademark on it. And straight away I thought... Trademark? The trademark. And straight away I thought, why hasn't Twiggy picked that one up? (laughs) Maybe he will in future. So let's get into the the deal itself. Like we said, it's the option to acquire. They haven't actually acquired the thing. They're paying 1.1 million Canadian for a one-year option term. And then over that year, they're going to do their development studies, funding strategies, look at JVs, potential government funding as well as any sort of royalties, all those sorts of things over the next year while they maintain the option. And then once you look at what the actual terms would be if they decide to execute it, it would be paying 20 million Canadian upfront plus another 10 million in Blackstone shares. And then 18 months later, they'd have to pay another 10. And then upon getting the project fully permitted, another 15. And then once they achieve commercial production, another 25. So all in, up to 60 million Canadian plus 10 million in B in BSX stock. And today they are, or yesterday they raised another $10 million to keep them, uh, to keep them above board. You go, <laughs> you're talking about the deal. I've got, God, even I've got a comment. Mate, I thought we uh, just round out with our thoughts on the deal. So you go first, mate. Oh, the thing that always stands out with these ones is when there's a time dependent consideration to be paid so that you 10, feel like it's overhang that that 10 million 10 10 bucks is a lot of money um when it's time dependent it's not based on first production or or anything like that i know there is a approval payment as well but like that 10 million that's yeah that's that's always in the back of the investor's mind how they're going to pay for that when it comes around. Absolutely it's agreed. It's just like another capital raise. Just like Firefly, like you mentioned as well, it's a, a pre-revenue company. Yeah. How are they going to get the cash? Yeah. So they, I think Firefly are only approved for their first stage of, had enough funds for their first stage of expiration. So you know that there's another one coming for the second stage. Absolutely. So there are a couple other parts of the deal, which I thought we'd comment on, and that's the the deal structure. I, I don't mind it, you know, we are, you know, it's been, it's been very tough in nickel lately, but I kind of, admire the counter-cyclical nature of this investment. They're also only putting up 1.1 million upfront. So they've given themselves a bit of optionality. It's not a crazy amount of money and granted the, the assets aren't of crazy quality as it sort of stands, but they do have the intention to drill it out quite a bit. What, what, what happens in, in that once that time dependent payment is required and nickel sulfide hasn't recovered, um, is it, obligatory it's an obligatory payment or like if they cannot pay it then it's their choice if they want to exercise the right to pay for the no for the 10 million in 18 months time oh so subsequent Uh, uh, to accepting the option yeah so you've accepted the option then in 18 months time and nickel sulfide hasn't recovered and is sitting at the same point we are now and they're still on the hook for it well you'd i'd imagine there are terms in which they have rights over something or there's some sort of it's like a collateral to it. Yeah, something of that sort of nature to guarantee that they get paid. You you, you imagine that um, if, if if nickel's still beaten up, even kind of 
at the time of exercising the option in the first place that they might not exercise it. It's, they're paying a small amount of upfront money to get an option to have something, which is kind of a bit of a yeah a contrarian bet on um, on a beaten up commodity. Yeah, so that this option is valid for one year. Correct. Absolutely. So you've got yep. one year to exercise it. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I think there's something else you can kind of infer from this deal and that might be that they're getting quite a bit of pushback from investors about Vietnam as a jurisdiction. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if they slowly move away from Vietnam entirely. They did have a comment in there relating to Vietnam's, like the refinery that they have in Vietnam is a complement. It's not a necessity to, to have the two together. So it could be, you know, something that they look at in, in due time. So They'd, it's a big pivot. Yeah, it, it would be. So they mentioned the IRA as well, something we've spoken at length about, but they were pretty clear to stress that the asset in Canada is IRA compliant and that there would be a benefit. So I wonder what the how you weigh up. It would be interesting to hear this from a guru is weighing up being IRA compliant in Canada versus running an operation in Vietnam that is non-IRA compliant but super, super cheap labour. So I, it's like where the actual, where the trade-off is. It ultimately cu- comes down to whatever the cost of the project is in Canada as well versus whatever the overall cost is. And I don't even think these guys know just yet. They need to do a proper study and see what the costs would look like to operate this mine in Canada. But it's, you know, if you are in a non-free trade agreement country and you can, you would be competing head-to-head with the Indonesian nickel coming out. So that is yeah. tough competition as we know. And the last comment I was just going to make is these guys are using Investor Hub and it was super easy to actually give, see the speech that Scotty gave. You could post up questions and everything. I, I, think, cool. I think that's reflected in the content of the <laughs> the stand of the of the analysis, JD. The fact that you could... <laughs> Your engagement utilize, was higher than it normally would utilize, be for an option, option utilize deal. Utilise Investor <laughs> Hub to bloody absolutely sex up the money of mine content. So there's a, like, hyper, a hyperlink on the page and you click that and it took you to this platform. Yeah, they, they chucked it on the first page of their announcement. Oh, Scotty Williamson took taking action getting in bloody, getting in the investor hub world. Now that yeah. is impressive. The shareholders voted down the, the Zepo, so it's like I better engage and better. He's like, I've got, to engage, <laughs> I've got to engage with them to suck back up to them after they voted down my Zepos. <laughs> Trav, I'm, I'm itching to hear the, uh, the gripes you've got to pick with the uh, oh, geez, a independent hole. expert report and everyone else you've picked a fight with along the way in this. I love it and I love it how this was um, this was prepared yesterday but the oh, rabbit no. hole got deeper and deeper and windier and windier and, and we're, still, the best of us. <laughs> we're still waiting on it. Yes, it's, it's oh, a, we've oh, all been there. Oh, mate, and this is a deal that um, that you, you boys talked about when I was in London actually, the um, Australian vanadium merging with uh, TMT. <laughs> Oh, the world's most logical merger. They share the same ore body. Uh, you know, it's like the two vanadium companies. Unreal, isn't it? It was the one you guys highlighted with lots of soft issues as you had this very enlarged management team on board as a result of the merger. But the deal got done. Yeah, it didn't look like any is it? any people were moving on <laughs> at all, really. So, yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the news is, and it was yesterday, Arvo, um, the scheme booklet finally landed. Um, and so I, I had to flick through it. Uh, and there's a lot of unhappy TMT shareholders nonetheless. And I think they're unhappy because they think their project is contributing more to the pro forma group than um, is being recognised by the terms of the agreement. So what, is it, what does the independent expert have to say about all this? Because that's what you can see in the scheme booklet when it comes out. They say it's not fair, but reasonable. So they say it's not fair because the value in the pro forma is less than the value of a, um, of a share in T- 
TMT prior to the scheme, but reasonable because of some qualitative factors outlined in the booklet. Now, remember those unhappy shareholders of TMT. They are so unhappy that a big group of them have banded together to tell the board they intend to reject the scheme. Oh, look at the list of them. It's massive, right? So this is a big list they chuck in um, in the scheme booklet. It spans across like literally two pages. It represents- I, see, I, I did say one name and I don't know if it's the same one. I saw William Blake. I don't know <laughs> if that's Bill Blake, the uh, 10% shareholder in Burncut. I'm uh, not sure. There, I did well, say another William Blake on <laughs> online somewhere. Just but, call, uh, call them all out. Anyway, there's um, yeah, some funny it, ones. It represents about 17% of the, the issued capital. Yeah, like 17%. There's a whole – like a big, big list of people there. They've all banded together and they've signed these – they've ultimately signed these um, voting intention to reject statement. And, and um, if, you, if you look through some prior announcements from TMT, um, TMT kind of alleged that they've all signed the same kind of thing, the same, same thing. So someone's gone around and kind of given out these forms for people to sign and say, I, I intend to reject, and they've all done it in a, in a, in a semi-coordinated way. Um, ASIC has regulatory guides which are referred to within um, the booklet, like explicitly labelled in the booklet, specifically RG25. And RG25 deals with truth in takeovers. We've talked about this before, haven't we, guys? Enlighten me, Ricardinio. So truth in, truth in takeovers is basically you can't say, you know, you intend to do this and then like just be like, psych. <laughs> you know, you, you, gotta, you, gotta, you can't lie. You've got to sort of do it. you got to do it. Yeah. Uh, we spoke about it just uh, last week, I think, with um, yeah. Orcorp and how yeah. Goiter and the likes were exactly. intending to go. Uh, and you can, you can see TMT's game booklet basically advocating that they don't believe the full list of rejecting shareholders to be bound by their intention to vote against. Um, and and they basically state that, you know, in RG25, it explicitly states this word substantial holders as part of it. And they kind of, they basically say that with the exception of one of the people on that list, um, these shareholders are not substantial holders for the purposes of RG25. Therefore, you know, the, I think the read through is that um, these, these individuals are actually able to change their mind. They're pitching to these these shareholders who said they intend to vote against and say, you're not actually bound by this truth of takeovers, we think, and um, and you should vote for it. But look at, look at the scheme booklet. There's all these great reasons you should vote for it. So that's how I kind of see it as that that pitch to the disgruntled retail to, holder to, to change their mind um, and tell them, you're not, you're not bound by this uh, truth in takeovers thing. And I think there are some parallels to finders resources back in the day. Um, and, and this was a, a takeover, I reckon it was 2018 or 19, and Euros... Hartley's basically went around getting voting intention letters signed by their clients of the stock and the takeovers panel ultimately found that the shareholders that did sign them were not bound by the truth in takeovers rule. Um, just, this whole process just cr- cracks me cracks me up, the whole the, – the revolt, the attention, <laughs> all for a logical merger where there should have just been one company that owned it anyway and a company that requires so much bloody capital – yeah. That they are going to take a very long time to get to actually break a rock. Mm-hmm. And another example of all this shit happening when there's nothing happening. But this is this is the, th- the theme right now. It's mm. like if you're a shareholder and you've been owning the stock and you, you're you're actually down and you're thinking like, and then this deal comes along and you don't get the you know juicy premium or whatever that you had in your eyes. All of a sudden you start being really anchored to what the price used to be and you get unhappy. And yeah. when you get unhappy, guess what? You buddy band together and you get your pitchforks and you block deals. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. Um, I do think it's important to talk about the role of RCF. Yeah, let's get, let's get into the major shareholders because, you know, mm. RCF been the, the biggest on both sides, 
or yep. one of the biggest on both sides. And then you've also got some other, mm. you know, institutions there as well. Last year, phone's about 18% of both TMT and AVL and they've been pretty firm in advocating um, for the deal to go ahead. Logical, like you said, Maddie, just from a, you know, asset combination perspective. Um, but, you know, and and in the case of, of RCF, they've also gone as far as, you know, having there's some things in the scheme booklet that indicate RCF would be apprehensive about providing more capital if, if the deal didn't go ahead. So there's a little bit of an implicit threat there. Vote against and, you know, we're, bloody, <laughs> we're, not, we're not happy shareholders. Um, so if you look at the share registry of TMT, you've got RCF 18%. If you throw in Regal, Atesa, Tribeca, that takes it up to 26%. And that 26% of institutional shareholders have provided voting intentions to support the deal. So there's 26% saying that they want to vote for it, 17% saying that they want to vote against it. Um, so, so to, you know, when you've got such a high proportion of, of shareholders already kind of giving you their voting intention, if you take the, the uh, rejecting shareholders at face value, and you need to you need to get this deal over the line. You need a massive, massive voter turnout to actually kind of get this deal done. Um, so unless some of those shareholders change their mind, I reckon it looks pretty tricky to for the deal to complete in its current form. And like you guys alluded to, the bit that I really got into the weeds about is the independent experts report. <laughs> it's like, but it's like an in, an independent. Experts report within an independent experts report. Yeah, it's that's pretty. It's kind Is that of, pretty standard. It's pretty standard on mining deals. You you have the independent expert who is responsible for you know the compilation, evaluation, and, and the likes. But they will often they'll they'll employ the services of an independent technical specialist or an independent feed technical the, expert feed that feeds it. the value yeah. of the mining properties that go into the the um or, or the oil and gas properties that go into it. Um. So yeah, in, in this case, you, you know, but well, I guess before I. Before I sort of just jump on board and start supporting the disgruntled retail guys, I want to make I want to make sure they had a good point, and that's why I read the independent expert report. I've got a few gripes with it. They the independent expert opines on whether the transaction is fair and reasonable. We talk about those words a lot, and they conclude, as I mentioned at the start of the segment, this one's not fair, but it is reasonable. Fairness is it fair? That's all about relative valuation. A shareholder is getting a deal that adequately remunerates them for the value of their equity. So to assess this, the IER does their best, the IER independent expert report, like they, it does their best to calculate the value of the assets and compare it to the value of the consideration. You know, what are you, um, what are you giving up? What are you getting in return for it? In, in this case, the value of the, you know, the asset, one share of TMT before the scheme and the consideration, you know, you, you end up with 12 shares in MergeCo. This chart here shows the range of the valuations for those two elements. You know, you notice something when you look at when you look at these two ranges. What do you notice, guys? They overlap. <laughs> exactly. So, I think to start with, I I, don't know, I I can't remember ever looking at an independent expert report and seeing these two valuation ranges actually overlapping, and then and saying it's not fair. I always thought if you've got overlapping valuation ranges and you know there's a reasonable scenario where um, it actually is fair, but apparently not. I must be wrong on that one. Um, I can't quite figure out why. So do they normally, if it, <laughs> if it is fair, all that um, green line will be within the red line? What I've been told is one of them's got to be past the halfway point of one of them. It's just a... Uh, to me, that looks like a, there's a scenario there where this is fair according to your high and low. But but we're going into like 
like semantics on a very weirdly thing where the numbers that are spat out, I don't even kind of agree with how they've been spat out. And that's what I want to, that's what I want to talk about. Um, and we will, we will say a bit of a uh, caveat to this. This isn't Trav's uh, one hour opinion. There was some bloody uh, <laughs> work that's gone into this and deep dive. So um, it's not bloody shooting off the hippie. No. I can tell you that. <laughs> Thanks, Matty. Appreciate that. No worries, mate. Just <laughs> when, when all the abuse starts flying in, we've got the disclaimer. So, <laughs> <laughs> BDO, they're the author of the IER, but but valuing, they rely on um, te- the technical specialist report to value the vanadium mineral assets. And the technical specialist report has been prepared by VRM. So, let's see what the technical expert VRM did to value TMT's mineral assets. Do they look at the economic viability of the deposit and, and, and wrap a mine plan around it? Nope. They they use transaction comps of precedent vanadium transactions on an EV to resource basis. And when I say transaction comp, what do I mean? I'm talking about the very few occasions a vanadium project with the resources transacted in recent history. The technical expert has looked at what was paid, looked at the tons of, you know, resource in the ground and then normalized the 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 amount paid for the um, changes in spot prices to vanadium pentoxide at the time of the transaction. So they've they've looked at they've looked at two transactions that happened in Nevada, two in Finland, and one project in the northwest state of South Africa. And from that, they come up with a dollar. I think it was at sixty seven dollars per ton of mm-hmm. how they're going to evaluate the mm-hmm. what the TMT's asset is worth. Yeah. based on their contained mineral resource. Yeah. It's kind of bizarre because these transactions go back almost 10 years and <laughs> commodity prices fluctuate wildly. So yeah. And they, yeah. So they, they normalize like, that. Well, I don't think you, I don't actually think it's appropriate to normalize for changes in commodity prices because it's all about the margin you make on the in-situ thing. Not, not just like the, anyway, it's yeah, like they, they, they try and yeah. justify it obviously. And yeah. there, there was a line in there that said, I think it was the, the South African asset it was the one that only one that had an ore reserve, and similar geo, similar environmental conditions, and it came out at sixty three. So that shows that we're <laughs> close. Like that was one of the lines. So I, yeah, just so it, as you said, first pass looking at it, it just seems like a blunt stick. Easy way to do it. It's a blunt. It's a blunt stick. It's a yeah. It's a weird yeah. Chucky Chucky summarizes it best. He goes. Uh, from my rabbit hole analysis, the main driver of TMT's valuation is five transactions dating back to 2014 supported by a rubbery guesstimate of the in-ground value of the vanadium. That's worthy of a revolt. <laughs> a revolt. Uh, so thanks, Chucky. Appreciate that. And my gripe. Well, and because and there was a line here, and you'd be able to explain this to me. The VRM does not consider a DCF approach to be appropriate. This was because a DCF valuation results in a lower valuation than the market-based assessment. Yeah, market based being uh, share share prices, etc. Um, so yeah, I think I think the reality is like, what are you actually getting? Like, if you do a DCF at consensus prices, that makes sense. But the reason you buy these companies, you're not paying paying for the unrisked NPV. You're actually paying for the option value that there's yeah. a structural change in um, in vanadium prices. So I think you know I think you could be a little bit thoughtful about using some option valuation to go into your actual quantitative methods here and get a, you know, get a supportive um, valuation range. But that's neither here nor there on this one because they've chosen the the, the, the rough stick and um, we'll roll with that one. So my gripe doesn't stop there at the fact that it's just these five comps. Um, 
It's the fact that they are tra- there's transaction comps, and we all know what a transaction is. It's a change of control, right? So which has a premium has a has a control premium baked into it. Um, so keep that in mind. I'm going to try my best not to lose the audience as I talk about valuation methodologies here. And if you recall that valuation range chart that I showed where the two ranges are sort of overlapping a, a little bit, it compares one TMT share with 12 shares in the merged entity based on some of the parts valuation methodology. So to start with, t- TMT, the value of TMT, that's based on the value of the mineral assets, which comes from that EV resource metric you mentioned, you adjust it for some net cash and transaction costs, and then you get a kind of a per share value. Fair enough. That sounds like a, a reasonable way to do TMT if you're going to adopt this, you know, um, this blunt stick EV to resource metric to, to, to value. Just before you do it, and I'll zoom in on tr- Chucky's tweet, mm. and if you, you just look at the range of the prices, like they have averaged it, but the range goes from $28 a tonne up to $91 a tonne mm-hmm. like for all those five projects. And this was in 2014. Heaps of variance. So, right. so much yeah. variance in how that is calculated. Sorry, Trav, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> That's all right, mate. We've probably got like three people left listening anyway. That's all right. Hold on, because this is <laughs> sen- this is sensational <laughs> stuff, money miners. Hang on to your seats. Take it away, Trav. <laughs> Uh, okay, so so I think that's a fair way to to, to value TMT if you think it's appropriate to use the EV to resource, which I probably don't. Um, but now look at how they they value the mer- the twelve shares in Merge Co. So they 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 value they they in the some of the parts build up they use the value of TMT, which we just calculated in that above methodology. They repeat that same methodology to value uh, AVL. They chuck in some minor uplift for for synergies. And this is the but that bit. only went to the TMT side, didn't I think there was eleven Correct. million uplift for yep. TMT. Yep. Uh, based on I think something Synergy, because yeah. of their pit went to the edge of it or something. But AVL didn't get an uplift. I think it was just TMT. Yep. And then and then here's the bit that perplexes me. They discount the entire everything you just calculated in that sum of the parts. So then discount the whole lot of it. Twenty between twenty and twenty six percent to remove. A control premium. <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> We've heard this. This is when uh, William Beamont was going off his head in the newspaper because uh-huh. the exact same thing happened for the yeah. Develop Essential merger. Yeah, and in the Develop Essential uh, merger case, you know, I mean, it was a bit, a bit more extreme in some ways. I mean, BDO's methodology suggested Develop was only worth a dollar seventy, despite the fact they raised fifty million bucks at. $3.20 at the same time the transaction was announced. And how did they get to the $1.70? Well, I mean, you know, you, this is this is kind of the issue is they're applying this control discount to the entire pro forma. So if it's all coming from this place of, oh, we, we need to remove the, um, we, we need to remove the element of the um, con- control from the, from the target, well, you don't bloody penalise the bidder in the process. You can deduct the control based on, um, based on TMT, but what they're doing is they're actually applying it to the entire AVL, which doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I mean, like BDO did the IER for DDH Parenti recently with no discount applied to the value of the the merged entity. You can go like back in time through a bunch, and the, the typical way that these things are done, you don't actually value assets on an EV to resource very often. Like it's a bit of a strange thing to inform the sum of the parts for for a lot of um, a lot of mergers. I would have thought. Um, but the typical thing you do is you, you you do reference sort of relative share prices. If the company is too small, you know, then then um, 
then it becomes a bit trickier and you use these some of the parts. But, you know, what do you use the transaction multiple to do? It's to help you figure out what an appropriate control premium is. Once you know what that appropriate control premium is, you, you then apply that based on the market considerations of the share price of the, um, you know, pre-bid. And, and it's just a, it's a really funny kind of process to go through, I think, because you end up kind of, you know, making a, a deduction to AVL for control, which it's never actually like losing in the first place. I don't quite, I don't quite understand it um, just from a conceptual level there. Because mm, you look at the definition here. However, if the scheme is approved, shareholders will be minority holders in the proposed merge entity, meaning that their individual holding would not be considered significant enough to have an individual influence in the operations of that company. Yeah. I mean, so but, I, I can talk to you about... But like, the fact that all they're all coming together, though, oh, mate, is, is it a reflection of they're not getting rid of everyone and there's all the, all the same management is merging together as well? <laughs> So imagine maybe if there wasn't as many soft issues, there wouldn't be the minority discount. I've got a couple, a couple more examples to sort of talk through my line of thinking. If you go through the St. Barbara Bardock scheme booklet, uh, what RSM do is they first work out a control value for, for, for Bardock and then they compare that to the implied value of the St. Barbara share price, which is the most logical way to do it, I would have thought. And then another example, if you go back to 2020 when Perseus bought Exore, um, BDO did the report in that one. They worked out a control premium for Exore and then compared it to Perseus's share price. Um, so so I, I, I just think conceptually you shouldn't be penalising the, the acquirer's part, portion of a, of a pro forma entity with a, with a controlled discount. Just, like it just makes no sense to me when you've got that other example where you're doing this other analysis and, and, and you absolutely don't adjust for a, you know, a, a, a control discount on, on the acquirer. So anyway, um, I'm, I think what's probably going to happen here is someone from PDO is going to call me up and come on the show and, um, <laughs> and argue the argue the other side of the uh, the, the perspective, Maddie. But um, I'll look forward to that one. That'd be it'd be all well and good if um, everyone had had this opinion, <laughs> but everyone doesn't. There is a lot of mixed views on this um, that we've heard from people you'd call that are in very in the fu- the funds management world <laughs> that we respect. So. Getting plenty of help. Uh-huh. All right, mate. So, <laughs> so what? What else? So what, okay. So what? What would have happened? So if that uplifts, so if the, if they didn't apply that minor, minority discount, TMT shareholders should be getting uh, more AVL shares, effectively. Uh, you you would have actually seen the two valuation ranges actually kind of overlap, and I think you would have seen a, a fair and reasonable. Um, but it, but it wouldn't have changed the actual scheme? Well, I mean, the bid was put in youngs ago. This is just the independent experts report. But um, in terms of getting a deal done, it's probably would have been, it would have been easier for, um, for both parties to argue to their shareholders saying that it's fair and reasonable. But the, um, rev- the revolting shareholders kind of have a bit more, bit more capability to argue for an uplift given it's um, deemed not fair. So the, independent ex- so the independent experts report is at the detriment of AVL and TMT. In the detriment of getting a deal done on the current terms, I probably think the um, the likely outcome here is to get an uplift of some sort from from AVL. Will it actually appease the shareholders? I mean, they seem pretty unhappy, so I don't know if you can get an uplift that keeps them happy. Um, but that's what they're after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, 
realistically how much of an uplift you're going to get. I mean, you're still going to be super anchored to the glory days when the share price is way higher than any uplift you're actually going to get. So Enough to move that line over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 who knows? I mean, to, to me, this is a merger of um, like necessity as much as anything else. People will be unhappy as hell, but um, I mean, the whole world knows these two assets should be together. Question is, you know, at what price and who ends up with what percentage of the pro forma? And I think that's still TBD. And there's, but there is so much that has to change in the world for assets like this to actually break a rock one day. <laughs> for can you imagine how hard, how hard it is for a company to get well over a billion dollars in capex to develop something like this in this climate? Yeah, you bet. It just feels a long way away. You're betting on a structural change in vanadium. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. JD. I mean, in any case, you'd want to do that before the commodity price picks up. But you know, countercyclical investing—countercyclical <laughs> investing—is much easier said than done. Mm, especially on that size. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Geez, we really delved into it there, guys. We did indeed. Oh, love did it. Indeed. Love it. Good work, Trav. Look forward to the correspondence. <laughs> it's a fair. It's just a fair. I believe. I believe. I didn't go as deep as you, Trav, but it is a bloody fair question that we would. Like a, I want just a simple answer to. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, BDO, you're welcome to come on the podcast tomorrow if you want to. Yeah. Oh, not tomorrow. We're busy. We've got the <laughs> but, um, anyway. Next week. Oh, mate, if you want. Yeah, right. That'd be it, eh? Yeah, a couple of partners to thank before we uh, get than, to some get to some work. More than a couple, JD. We if do. there was only a couple, that, that would mean we're not as popular as we are. I'll give you the privilege of rattling off all the partners then, oh, mate. Jeez. Thanks, JD, mate. Investor Hub. Another example today why you should get onto Investor Up if you're an MD. DSI Underground, Terra Capital, what a charitable organisation. McMahon Mining Title Services, Future Proof Consulting, Anytime Exploration Services, KCA Site Services, Brooks Airways, and the Rock Breakers with hands. Catering. Can't wait to have a beer with you tomorrow night. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.